I hear a call of a lifetime ring Felt the need to get up for it Oh, you cut out the middle man I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, in college, I would detail cars. In high school, too, I'd detail cars. Um, you know, for like $75, I'd wax, do a full detail on it. Um, so my mind was kind of always scanning for different opportunities. And one idea was about cheesesteaks. It's an outdated sandwich that uh, has a very, uh, very passionate fan base. You know, people are very uh, opinionated about what a Philly cheesesteak is. But the heyday of the cheesesteak seemed to be in Philly in like the 70s and 80s. And uh, it's not that far off from a hamburger, which is, you know, universally loved. So I figured, how do you update an outdated sandwich like the Philly cheesesteak that still has such a passionate fan base? One way to do that would be instead of using Cheese Whiz, another alternative fake crap, to uh, update it and adapt it to a California market where you have all natural meat and you have organic cheese and you have sprouts and you know so yeah I'm working at the cheesesteak shop uh, with a college degree in my hometown yeah I went from insurance to real estate to the cheesesteak shop is this where you'd like to be in your life and is this what you'd like to be doing How'd you get here? And where do you hope to go in the future? Most importantly, how are things right now? And what have you learned along the way? This is Bill Ehrlich. Is now a good time? Today I'm speaking with Nick Carroll of Barking Buddhas. Nick runs a dog walking business out of the building we live in. And I ran into him a few times where he was walking dogs coming back from a run or pack hike. And I got to talking with Nick, and he kind of mentioned that before starting the dog walking business, he was in corporate sales. I couldn't help but be interested as to how he made the switch from corporate sales to now being an entrepreneurial dog walker. Uh, As we spoke further, his story kind of took the form that many do, where he attempted to quote-unquote follow his passion, but that basically led nowhere, and instead he took more practical steps in this direction of dog walking that uh, ended up being pretty fulfilling and getting him where he is now. So that's what we cover in our conversation. I think early on, you know, the idea, the options aren't really there to strike out on your own because of the expectations that you're supposed to put your college degree to work and you're supposed to join an industry of insurance or real estate and you know playing off of previous archetypes of people in my life that seemed you know those were two areas that you could start with to thread a 40 year long career uh doing these types of things right that's the idea it's it's hard to get 
to a destination without like a map. Mm-hmm. And you, it's certainly easy to see how, you know, it's not just you. I think a lot of people, maybe you have an idea as to where you might want to get, but if you don't have a map to get there, you might just pick a different destination. Because like, well, I've at least seen a map yeah. that looks like someone got to right. that place. Maybe I'll try going there. Yeah. There's an old, I forget, I don't know where this, the phrase comes from, but it's uh, the idea of a traveler in another country, and he asks, uh, you know, a local, hey, do you know how to get to this one spot? And the local says, yeah, I do, but I wouldn't start from here if I were you. And so it's like, I don't know how that applies, but it seems to come up in, in relation to that, where it's like, you've got this entrepreneurial drive, but you just don't know how to get there from where you are, you know? And of course, that's the only place you can get to from because you can't start from anywhere other than where you are, but you don't know how to make that jump, so it's very confusing. Um, I was like, all right, the idea on cheesesteak is very great, but it's a little idealistic. Um, I need to get out of Lafayette. I need to move out of my parents' house. And um, the city seems like a great place to go. That's where a lot of my friends were. That seems like, you know, what a grown-up would do, right? So I got a job at Yelp. And one of the things that I really liked about Yelp was that I had loved it as a consumer. And being at the cheesesteak shop, I found it to be very useful in how that business was run. So I thought, well, you know, here's a way for me to help small business owners. Here's a way for me to link what I know about running a small business and wanting to have a cheesesteak shop. And let me get on the other side of the desk, on the, you know, on the other side of the phone and, and help out. Um, in that regard. So yeah, Yelp was the first spot to go uh, or was the first foray into the tech world, I guess. At that time, it was a pretty, you know, grown up, um, you know, grown up tech company. But it still was a lot of fun and definitely embodied the prototypical um, startup vibe that you might get when you think about, you know, a cool spot in the city where you get free snacks and there's beach balls and putting greens in the office and you know beer cart comes around on Fridays all that stuff like was encapsulated in the Yelp experience kind of like going back to college in many ways I mean everybody there was outgoing social young energetic ambitious and uh, you know two degrees removed from somebody that you knew in some way you know, most kids coming out of similar experiences that I had, you know, leaving similar suburban neighborhoods and going to similar, you know, uh, colleges and finding their way into San Francisco. And it was just incestuous, to say the least. But it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was uh, it was high energy. You know, you're on the phone making 100 calls a day, badgering these poor small business owners for their money. Not taking no for an answer and thinking that you've got the world by the balls, you know, just feeling like you're you're in a career now, right? That's the idea. So after 10 months, I realized I was feeling a little bit burnt out there because it was just, um, it was so high energy that it seemed, uh, it seemed unsustainable. And I remember telling my manager that I was going to leave. And she says to me, Nick, are you kidding me? This is fucking Yelp. Like, how could you? How could you do that? You know, like, do you not understand? Are you not grateful for where you are? 
And I knew that they were going to go public soon, but I still just felt like giving them the bird in many ways and just being like, I don't care. Like that was the bait that strung so many people along was like, we're going public. We're going public. Everyone's going to get cashed out. And I was like, what does that matter to me? I've been here for like 10 months. I haven't helped really like push this thing over the finish line. The reward is not there for me. The incentive is not there for me. I don't feel like I would be deserving of, you know, the, 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 the carrot at the end of the stick that is being dangled in front of me right now. So despite my manager's, uh, you know, astonishment, I was, you know, I'd already decided to move on. And what I thought at the time was advancing my career to a place that was more serious. So I looked uh, to another company named Quantcast and a couple other folks, I think maybe had gone over from Yelp as well. Um, But rather than speaking with small business owners and, you know, playing putt-putt golf while on the phone and hitting a beach ball as it came flying over from somebody else's desk. It was a cubicle, darker lit office uh, with conversations instead of with small business owners. You're talking with mid-level managers and, you know, you're talking about different ad buys and $20,000 purchases and yada, yada, yada. It seemed like in in the career path, that one is supposed to follow in sales, you should be having more serious conversations. So that's kind of where I was at that point was I was like, enough of this Yelp thing. This is, this is, uh, you know, playland. It's time to grow up and get a real job kind of thing. So there I was at Quantcast, uh, after the 10 months at Yelp and literally just down the block, uh, from Yelp. So it was not anything that drastic of a change other than, um, the serious attitude that I seemed to put on and the, um, different conversations and the expectations that were set working at this new company. And so how long at this, at, at Quantcast? That was like a year and a, a year and a month probably. Okay. Yeah. So at that point, you know, what I had been listening to, what I had been consuming in terms of podcasts and video, you know, YouTube videos, everything else, what I was hearing was follow your passion, follow your passion, follow your passion. And at the time, and currently, I'm drinking Yerba Mate. Yerba Mate was a big portion of my identity and a big, quote-unquote, passion of mine. And Yerba Mate, in the same vein as cheesesteaks, cheesecakes, cheesesteaks, was an opportunity that I saw having potential for um, marketability in the U.S. The desire at the time following the idea or the suggestion to, to go after a passion was to just follow your Bamate and see where that led me. So being that it's a national drink down in South America, being that I had realized that not a lot of people here were open to the idea of it or interested in it, the thinking was to head down to see how your Bamate is consumed in its you know, home countries where millions of people drink it on a daily basis, and I can kind of see it in the natural habitat. Ideally, the goal at that time is to bring it back to the U.S., find a supplier, and bring it back to the U.S. to distribute it in some form or fashion.
point yeah i'd left uh left quantcast so i bought a one-way ticket and told my mom like i just got a one-way ticket to south america and so yeah i basically put everything together to get myself there and then was gonna kind of figure it out along the way the initial step was to get onto an organic farm to do a work exchange program with woof which is worldwide organic farming practices uh, or shares, you know, work shares. Um, so that's where I, I landed when I, I, and couch surfing too. So I, I jumped on to couch surfing, found a spot where I initially landed and then made my way to this organic farm. Where, where was it that you flew into? Santiago, Chile. And to plant the seed here, uh, I had reached out to a friend at the time named Britt and she was planning a trip to Southeast Asia and was kind of getting out, you know, and so I reached out to her to understand a little bit more about what her plans were and to borrow some ideas on how that might be a strategy that I could incorporate into my exit. So after you come back, what was the, you have all these yerba mate samples Mm -hmm. and what do you do with them? The idea was to set up a little company running yerba mate under a you know, private label or brand. And um, I started doing educational like workshops or holding like these um, yerba mate tastings at a local cafe. Um, pretty much all my friends came and that was about it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I got, I like had different stamped uh, bags of yerba mate that I would bring with me and so to unpack this a little bit um i at the time met up with um brit who had come back recently at the same time from her travels from southeast asia and i had reached out to her before leaving san francisco to figure out what her plan was she came back from southeast asia i came back from south america around the same time we were sharing a mate and that's when we realized that uh, we had had a very long friendship, but that's when we found out that, you know, it was more than just a friendship. You know, I, I wasn't expecting it, to be honest. Um, but sure enough, that uh, was surprising and, and blossomed from uh, over a mate when I returned with, uh, with a, a friend of mine named Britt. So now uh, I'm living in Oakland. She's back in Lafayette. And Did you guys know each other from high school or from college? From middle school. From middle school, diverted, and she went to a different high school in the neighboring town. Uh, I went to a different high school, and then uh, we both went to Davis, ironically, or coincidentally. So we were you know, at an arm's distance at Davis from one another and would come across one another here and there, but it was, um, had never been anything romantic at the time. Yeah. So this was certainly a surprise that a romance developed years later, a decade later at the time, you know, and Brit had a company that she was working with that, uh, sold shoes. They did, uh, imported shoes from Indonesia and, uh, they had a number of different summer tours that they would go up and down the California coast, um, you know, selling and, uh, being a vendor at different, 
summer festivals. And I tagged along and set up a Yerba Mate booth. So they were selling their shoes, and I had a little Mate stand going. And that was kind of how my initial iteration of Yerba Mate um, came into manifestation. It came into manif- manifestation or manifested yeah. itself. Yeah. Was in, uh, you know, using that as an outlet to kind of test the waters for Mate. So... At this point, you know, I'm doing your mate, I'm bartending, but it's starting to wear on me, you know, Friday nights, you know, tips vary, it's just like, for me, it's a tough industry to be in. And I looked at Lyft, because um, Lyft was kind of, you know, Lyft and Uber were, were kind of taking off at that time. There's no such thing as Uber in Oakland, Lyft wasn't really, you know, neither, neither were very big in Oakland. But I realized that uh, I would be making more money driving for Lyft than I would be bartending on a Friday night. So I moved over to start driving for Lyft. And um, I'm driving Friday nights. I'm uh, eventually driving all weekdays now and driving for Lyft full time. So I get to the city in the morning. I drive folks in from Oakland through uh, casual carpool, drop people off, turn on Lyft, start picking people up to get them to work. Um, and around, you know, and then I'm driving pretty much all day and at night when work's over, I'm getting people back from the office to home and then my day's over. And then a food company jumps into my lift around, you know, 1130, just before lunch. They say, take me to this restaurant. They say, wait out here. They say, okay, now take me to this office. Now wait here. Now take me back to my office. And so I'm like shuttling this guy around who's going in and out of restaurants and delivering food, basically being his food delivery service. He says, we need people like you, Lyft drivers, to start delivering food for us. Are you interested? I said, sure. So I'm in the morning, I'm driving people around, getting them to the office. At lunch, I'm getting food and bringing it to their office. And eventually, um, another company jumps into my Lyft and they say, hey, we need flowers delivered. Can you deliver flowers? I said, sure. I can deliver flowers. So I'm getting people to the office in the morning. I'm getting the food to the office in the afternoon. And then every time in between, I'm delivering flowers to the office or to their home. And then at night, going back to Lyft and uh, getting people back from the office. Eventually, these folks that are uh, starting this flower company say, hey, we'd like to bring you on full time. So I said, yes, that sounded great. They were paying an attractive rate. It was a very small team, and it was a, a cool opportunity to kind of see the startup from its very early stages, and they'd just gone through Y Combinator at the time, so they were flush with cash, and they were young and ambitious, and everything was just getting started. So I dropped Lyft, and I dropped the food company, um, and was doing flowers full-time. Delivery, or were you actually in the office then? Um, I was doing delivery. Okay. I was doing uh, driving driving my own vehicle around, uh, delivering flowers across San Francisco. Sweet. Yeah. What was the name of the company? Bloom That. Okay. Um, and then as they grew and their operation expanded, now they're interested in opening up the Oakland market. And, that, and I said, well, I know Oakland. I live in Oakland. I could you know, help expand to the Oakland market. So now my job is to go into the city every day and get a car full of flowers and then drive out to Oakland 
where I wait for other drivers, like my what I was doing previously, but now I'm like the mothership, and I've got my car full of flowers, and other people are coming to pick up the flowers for my car. And then they eventually ask if I, you know, will start delivering down to a new market they're opening up, the San Mateo market, and they ask me to start driving my car down to San Mateo. And I'm starting to kind of like, you know, it's a young, it's a young company, right? Now I'm driving down to San Mateo, and... I'm not very happy about it, to be honest, because I'm driving my own car and I get stuck in traffic both ways and it's just really a drain and drag. At the same time, I'm driving further. Now they're paying me less because they're, they're expanding and they've got to watch their costs. So I'm working more, getting paid less. Now they're like, oh, we're going to open up the San Jose market. We'd like you to drive to San Jose every day. At least at this point, I'm driving their commercial vehicles. So here I am now running their vehicles, their fleet, down to San Mateo, down to San Jose, and the same thing applies. I'm still sitting in, you know, a park with their commercial vehicle full of flowers, and uh, and time, you know, every hour or so, new people come and pick up the flowers, but there's a, a gap in between. So I'm listening to a ton of podcasts. I'm reading a bunch. Um, you know, I'm exercising, doing whatever. But there's a whole bunch of dogs that are back in the warehouse office in San Francisco. And I'm thinking to myself, man, these dogs are stuck indoors all day. One of them sits in a crib. And uh, maybe it would benefit me and maybe it would benefit the dogs if I could bring them in the van and let them play in the park while I'm, you know, in between orders. So I start building a relationship with some of the dog owners and eventually uh, am able to take out a few of the dogs and develop a pretty good relationship with one of them. And he's kind of my little buddy now that I'm taking down with me to the park and we play fetch in between and tire him out. And he's happy, the owner's happy, I'm happy, and it's all going really well. Um, and on certain days, the dog's unavailable. He's not there because he's out with his professional dog walker. Um, and so I think to myself, all right, well, things aren't going the way that I would like. There's no opportunity for me to advance within the company. So I'm looking at, looking at the dogs, thinking about dog walking. Your, your mate at this point has fallen by the wayside completely. So it's just, you know, totally on the back burner. There's no pursuit of that in any way. But while I was in Buenos Aires, uh, I saw multiple dog walkers in the city and you know some of them would have 15 dogs at a time they'd meet up with other dog walkers that had other 15 you know 15 dogs they're all in a park and all of a sudden there's like three or four dog walkers with 15 dogs each and it's just this like you know dog heaven for the most part these dogs are running around now i know that that's maybe not the safest way to go about uh socializing dogs but at the time it was I was impressionable enough to the idea of it that it really said, um, you know, impacted me a lot at the time. It's gonna take a little time while you're waiting like a factory line. I'll ride across the park, backseat on the 79. Wasted days, you come 
like in taking this dog out. He's got a professional dog walker, and I'm like, well, maybe there's your best way, you know, your 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 next path. You know, you've been looking for an entrepreneurial endeavor, and you tried with your Bamate, but the capital needed to get going on that is, you know, was prohibitive. But dog walking pretty much is like there's no real barrier to entry there. You just need to like walk a dog, right? So that sparked enough of interest on my end to follow up with the dog owner who I'd been uh, currently working with and said, hey, can you link me with your dog walker? I'd like to know who they are and can you introduce me? So I took a few of my sick days and went out and shadowed the dog walker. Got to see the dog that I would, you know, had built a relationship with in the context of being with this dog walker and she took me out to um, Fort Funston um, out by the beach in San Francisco. And that was an amazing experience because, you know, she's taking these dogs down, you know, beautiful cliff on the California coast and letting the dogs run around on the beach in a free for all. And it was awesome to see the dog walkers in Buenos Aires, but it was nothing compared to what dog walking on the California coast is like, you know, it was beautiful and you're outside and the wind was blowing and the waves are crashing the dogs are all having a good time and I'm seeing myself interact with these dogs in a way that is instinctive or natural for me to be you know kind of working with the dogs as I you know we haven't really talked about this but in all of my history I've always had an affinity for dogs and kind of been this weirdo that pets random dogs on the street at Yelp, Darwin is the uh, unofficial mascot who's the dog of the founder, Jeremy Stoppelman. And so I had a lot of interest in playing with Darwin and, and kind of being, you know, affiliated with him in some way. And I'd pick him up and carry him, even though he's a large Vishla. And uh, so, yeah, I've always kind of had this weird affinity with dogs, for dogs. And I saw it play out in a way that was was good with the dogs when I went out and shadowed this dog walker. I saw, oh, okay, my affinity and love for dogs is actually applicable in a way that could be my next path, right? So shadowing the dog walker was enough for me to know that that certainly was the way to go. And the the requirements to become a dog walker in San Francisco, in order to get a permit from the city, you have to enroll and complete um, some sort of training with uh, the Dog Walking Academy, as an example. So the Dog Walking Academy puts you through a four-day course that preps you on pack management, on dog communication and behavior, and just gives you a you know full preparation for working with dogs as a professional. So you don't need that in Oakland, but having no real professional experience with working with dogs, that was my next step on how to get out of the uh, tech startup, how to get out of Bloom that and, and kind of get out on my own. So that's where I started, was going to the Dog Walking Academy. And after completing the course, that was the, the next step for me. So I, I put in my, my notice at Bloom that and that chapter closed. And I stepped into the, the dog walking world by way of networking with a Facebook group of dog walking academy graduates 
that has a really strong network um, on Facebook. So I reached out to a couple different folks online and found an outfit or a dog walking company that had more dogs that, than they could walk themselves. So I started picking up with a few, um, a few a day, and that you know that was enough for me to get started. And so yeah, that that's the next chapter. So then you were you were like walking some dogs for the company, and then you were able to start picking up some dogs on your own as well. It wasn't until I moved on to the second company, working for another dog walking company, that I started to take on my own dogs. So I had a a summer contract with. With the um, first company? With the first company. Okay, so you, you just walked for them. But that was probably a great way to start. Mm-hmm. And, and they were all actually small dogs, too. They were all under 20 pounds. So it was great starter dogs, basically. They, they didn't pull on the leash. They weren't dangerous. They weren't intimidating. But at the same time, they weren't athletic. And they were very low energy. So it wasn't really the right fit for me. So I found another company that had bigger dogs, athletic dogs, labs, and retrievers, and, you know, athletic dogs and that's when I started to kind of look for my own company as well or to try and build my own company as well so you're walking dogs and then there's also the opportunity since you're a dog walker to start thinking about okay how do I do this for myself how do I do this on my own mm-hmm. then you start building up like a client base mm-hmm. independently yeah and then at some point did you have enough dogs to say okay it's time to strike out on my own I'm still at that point right now where only in the past few weeks after about a year of working with this other company, a little less than a year, I guess, that I have enough dogs to strike out on my own. Okay. So I'm still actually walking just one dog for them a week, but it puts me over capacity where I'm, you know, doing it right now strictly because I haven't concluded that chapter yeah but that point is inevitable and i'm actually looking to hire another walker right now to help me out in the same way that i was brought up through their company yeah is it is it understood in the dog walking community that like hey i need someone to walk some dogs but you might walk some of your own dogs but like you got those accounts so those are your dogs Mm -hmm. that's understood yeah was this ever on your radar was this ever something that you know like outside of the circuitous route Mm mm-hmm that came up or there was any hints at no i mean seeing him in buenos aires was awesome yeah and that was inspiring it wasn't ever anything i saw myself doing though yeah but because you really enjoy it oh yeah like you've found something that you like really because i've seen you with the dogs Mm -hmm. you have like a very good energy you have a really good rapport with the dogs and relationship and you you interact with them in a way that it seems like very natural, like you said. Mm-hmm. Like instinctually, you have the wherewithal, and then plus the training and experience. But I mean, what a what a way to land, yeah, on something. And it wasn't an option, really, you know, or it wasn't an available route at the beginning. So it is surprising that this is here now, and it wasn't anything that was offered or you know, supported in any way. It wasn't any model about it. Yeah. So that's definitely the, the interesting or surprising aspect of it. Yeah. But like probably a lot of your experience as, as varied as it was, 
kind of contributes because I'm sure that be, like the sales experience is probably very helpful because you need to get mm-hmm. accounts. You need to be like following leads of like finding where, mm-hmm. you know, people need their dogs walked and right. some of that other even the driving, driving the flowers. You got to drive the oh, dogs, man. pick up the dogs, you know, the routes. Mm-hmm. So like all these experiences have kind of come together. What, what do you think? What do you think it was that allowed you to not stop at something that was like, oh, this really isn't good, but I'm just going to do it for the rest of my life? Hmm. That's a really good question. Uh, what is it that I, that kept me from stopping from continuing on and without really knowing it probably has something to do with my relationship or concept to reality and knowing that life is generally a little bit more plastic or moldable than what is given to you without being without uh, you know, while acknowledging that many people are not able to realize things outside of their own powers or circumstances, many people are limited by by either family expectations or you know there's some sort of oppression in some way that keeps people from being able to kind of break through external limitations on on themselves. But I feel that at the same time, knowing that you know many of the things that have been given to me and afforded you know to me through being a college graduate and having grown up in America and speaking English and all these other things that like you have options and to not act on those abilities or the chance that you're given would be selling yourself short in some way. the yerba mate as like this is a passion like you're gonna go down to south america i'm gonna gather these things mm-hmm. like you went about it in this one way which really probably everything you were consuming kind of suggested this is how you go about making something happen mm-hmm. and then the dog walking was really much more organic mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like it was forced it sounds like it kind of like arose out of the things you were doing and then you approached it in a very, I say pr- practical and pragmatic as a compliment because like you actually took steps that were logical and mm-hmm. then started building towards where you are now running your own dog walking business. Mm-hmm. So what a stark contrast. Did you ever think about that with those two pursuits? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're different. They're different in a couple different ways. And one of them is that 
my belief in manifesting your bamate was that if I wanted it enough, if I believed in it enough, if I was passionate enough, that boundaries and walls would be broken down. And I realized that just wanting it enough or being like having enough fervor about it isn't enough to like agitate it to reality that there have to be other logical steps and not just kind of throwing yourself at something or like trying to pull it through, you know? So dog walking to me was just another, I mean, in, in contrast to trying to make it happen, dog walking was something that was available and it, you know, it's not, it wasn't at the outset a passion of mine, but it's become one. But yeah, it definitely was a lot more organic and it was available. So it's taking, rather than trying to make something happen that isn't there, it's taking something that is there and making it your own. And so it's just being a little bit more spontaneous, I guess, than trying to mold something out of out of your mind i guess yeah that's, i mean that makes a ton of sense where it's like rather than like looking at this like very far off thing like what's what's like one step i can take in this next direction mm-hmm. you know let me shadow the dog walker mm-hmm. you know like you just always took the next step mm-hmm. in that direction it wasn't like some grand plan yeah so i mean everyone has ideas whether they be passions or maybe just like an itch that is possible right now that they maybe want to scratch what advice would you give to those people or just like that younger version of yourself mm-hmm. at the Philly cheesesteak right. shop? What's the advice? Sort of the Nick at the Philly cheesesteak shop, you know, the idea of getting into it, I think you're a few steps ahead of where you need to be and that that's a great idea, but that you need to go to step one and figure out what's needed to start a Philly cheesesteak shop. You know, you need some sort of capital. You need some sort of like, there's no real plan of action. It was like, I was going to get the secrets and that was it. But the idea is, uh, to get the, the right order. And that seems to be out of order. So I'm not really sure what I would say to the Nick at the Philly cheesesteak shop. Um, what about advice to just other people though who maybe are looking to get to that place but if you wanted to get to that place you wouldn't start there right 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 i think um does the idea of why come into this you know why are you unhappy with the way that things are going and why would you like it to be different i mean i always like to start thinking about the why cuz that's usually what will get you through it, you know, rather than, you know, I guess the how, I don't know if it's the why or the how, you know, how do you, how do you go about changing this? But I think that first of all, you need to understand why you want to change it. What's your, you know, understanding yourself and looking inside to understand what drives you through it. Because I think if I was only looking for the how, maybe dog walking wouldn't have come up. Because if you're looking at the why, I'm looking to get out of an entrapment of the idea of, you know, 
trading time for money and just feeling kind of trapped. I feel more free now. And so that's always been my, my why and dog walking is one way to get to that why, but not necessarily the end all. So I'm not really sure. <laughs> I think you just, I mean, that makes a lot of sense where like the why was like you wanted more freedom. Mm-hmm. And if you were thinking about the how, you know, dog walking might not have been on the list, but when it did come up, it satisfied the why. I guess what I heard was just kind of maybe look for the characteristics of the thing you want. Mm-hmm. And it might not take the form that you were thinking, but that doesn't mean it won't satisfy, you know, satisfying the characteristics is more important than being a Yerba Monte tea company. Right. But it could look any number of ways. And if you, when your dog walking car pulled up, yeah. that wasn't the one that you expected, but you saw that you could get behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to phrase it for sure. Which rules. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to title your autobiography, mm-hmm. what would the title be? Mm, I like that question. It's creative. The idea for my autobiography up until now at age 28 would be... Hmm. Maybe it'd be something about the search for freedom. You said something right away that I think was pretty good. What was that? Up until now. Up until now. Hmm. I said that? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing you said. I like that. Up until now. <laughs> that kind of encompasses the whole thing. Yeah. Nice. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is perfect. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I had no idea. Right. I mean, the dogs really only came up towards the end there, so. But they, they, it's awesome. It's better that way because it's like, no, I wasn't reading books about dogs for 28 years. I was trying to find a way to, to make a living and pursue something that I could grow, that I could be good at and feel good about. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that that vehicle right <laughs> was dog walking <laughs> the car showed up it was packed full of dogs and there was no driver <laughs> there was no driver they said hey this one's yours all right <laughs> thank you for listening go ahead and check out nick's website www.barkingbuddhas.org if you have a dog or know of a dog in the east bay area that needs walking or boarding give them a call Subscribe to us on iTunes, and if you can, please leave us a review. We really appreciate it. Is Now a Good Time is a production by Bill Ehrlich, Mike Benz, Shane Callahan, Chloe List, and Ryan Lipkin. This is Bill Ehrlich. Is Now a Good Time.